Oh my god, it is Christmas Day. Can you believe this, folks? It's Christmas Day. Santa Claus has arrived. Jesus has died and returned. It is the miracle of life that we're celebrating today. So please, take a moment away from your Jordan Peterson lectures to tune in to this very special elongated episode of Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. What is the greatest Christmas film of all time? A lot of people are going to tell you Christmas Vacation, Christmas Vacation 2, or It's a Wonderful Life. And these are all very derivative choices if you're to ask me. For what it's worth, I believe that the greatest Christmas film ever made was Stanley Kubrick's final entry in his catalog, Eyes Wide Shut, a movie about sex, scandal, and the Catholic Church. Now, we're going to be talking about this movie today with the critical unbeliever, a returning movies veteran who was last seen on the episode where we were talking about Full Metal Jacket. We wound up rambling for three consecutive hours talking about this film, Eyes Wide Shut. And so it will be broken up into multiple episodes. But you can currently access the full three-hour diatribe on patreon.com slash for only one dollar. Right now, patreon.com slash lowers. If you'd like to do that, head on over to there or, uh, you know, don't just wait until next week. Okay, without further ado, I don't want to make this episode any longer and I don't want to keep you from your children. I know you're sitting alone in your bedroom right now listening to this podcast with headphones as your babies weep, hoping to open presents at some point today. But I come first and I always come first. Enjoy the episode and I'll see you next week. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I am your host, Lorez, and today we are doing yet another round of Stanley Kubrick. We have the critical unbeliever back to talk about Eyes Wide Shut. Men have to stick it in every place they can, but for women, women it is just about security and commitment and whatever the fuck else. A little oversimplified, Alice, but yes, something like that. Was Stanley Kubrick killed? Is this a direct question, or are yes. we posing this? No. Was Stanley Kubrick killed? I I per, I personally don't think so, but it's it's hard to come out of the themes of Eyes Wide Shut and things like um, you know the Lolita Lolita Express twenty years later, and and not not see the correlation uh, of reality inside of that film. So. Where I feel like, no, I don't think it's completely implausible. I would say that it is almost definitely implausible. I think he's way too high profile of a character in terms of Hollywood lore for someone to put the hit out on Stanley Kubrick. And I've gotten a lot of flack over the past year or so for putting out two videos on Eyes Wide Shut and how it was made and saying that... That and Pizzagate are just, uh, you know, nonsense conspiracies. I get two or three comments a day calling me a shill, call, you know, uh, uh, you know, just trying to debunk my videos with uh, whatever you would find on the conspiracy Reddit. On our conspiracy, like, you know, it is, it is one of those things. Like I said, it's it's a matter of of taking what you know about Hollywood in 2018. And then just assuming that's what Kubrick was talking about in what's essentially like 1996, right? Isn't that when they started production of it? Principal photography did begin in 96, I believe. And it took two years or two and a half years to complete the film. It was in pre-production, though, as early as, I believe, the late 70s. And Kubrick had kind of imagined this film with a celebrity couple the entire time. And we did wind up with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, but the entire way through, I know he had Woody Allen and Mia Farrow in mind for the late seventies. And then that evolved into Steve Martin and somebody else. I don't think he was really dating anyone famous around Mm -hmm. that time. And then that became Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger, which I, you can almost kind of see. And then finally we wound up with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman so this this movie had a labored production that lasts maybe about twenty years, uh, I want to say, or close to it. Well, I, I think if you I, if you correlate also like what we know about Tom Cruise, Tom, Tom Cruise 
he very much is the like a agenda man for the Church of Scientology. A, yeah. a lot of the stuff that he does, it, it's it's directly supposed to infl- or supposed to like benefit the the Church of Scientology, especially his films. It's not too too far out of left field to say that they because they have to cl- they have to to clear any film that he's going to work in that potentially beyond Stanley Kubrick beyond being like this is the greatest director of course you should do a film with them sure they see an opportunity to expose a bit of the uh, what they w- would consider religious occultism inside of Hollywood in an attempt to kind of show you know these guys are super bad guys but using Tom Cruise as a vector for as as like the the conduit for Scientology saying look there is a a difference like Hollywood insider group that's not this crazy sex cult that because that is you know that is the the general consensus for a lot of people uh, that would potentially become Scientologists is that there already is a, a bunch of really terrible people that that live in Hollywood that intentionally like set things up like this. You know, I've been dismissive of many of the conspiracies around Eyes Wide Shut. But there are some weird things that are going on peripherally with the film that are directly related to Kubrick and the two stars of the film, both Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. I don't know if I, I get I'm assuming she got wrapped up into Scientology as well while she was with Tom Cruise. But do you know anything about her father? No, not not uh, specifically. I know she. Her relationship with Tom Cruise sucked because of Scientology. That wasn't she. She didn't necessarily agree, or and, and doesn't didn't like it. So and that was like a big part of their breakup. And um, I think the same was with Katie Holmes. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, she she, well, um, it's you know alleged that she was essentially like like, kind of given to Tom Cruise as a wife, you know, by the church. Yeah. And that's that's a thing that although feels very conspiratorial, they've done that before. So they've assi- like assigned couples together, and it's mm-hmm. assumed that possibly um, that they assigned Katie Holmes to him. And that's a thing that they uh, that has been alleged of Tom Cruise specifically is there's a different woman before Katie Holmes that was assigned to him that found him abusive and wanted out. And rather than the Church of Scientology just letting her leave, they've. Uh, hidden her in the same way they've hidden David Miscavige's wife, uh, whatever that means. Like, I, and literally whatever that means. You don't know if that means they killed her or if they have her at a, at like a compound somewhere. But it's it's assumed that Nicole Kidman didn't like what she knew about Scientology and distanced herself from Tom Cruise first before eventually completely <clears throat> splitting up with him. And then Katie mm-hmm. Holmes essentially dipped out in the night. Like she she had a, a a long process of kind of saying that she might leave Tom Cruise, but then one day no longer lived with him, was no longer directly tied to him. All their bank accounts were separated. It was as if a divorce happened in 10 minutes. She wound up with one of Tom Cruise's, at least reportedly, one of his closest friends, Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild. And J- Jamie Foxx is uh, a guy that has also in the past said that he thinks that there's some truth to the sex cult concept of hollywood oh i think there absolutely is and i i have no doubt in my mind that kubrick was communicating that at least partially but the thing about nicole kidman's father that i wanted to bring up which is something that has been verified was that he was apparently accused by at least one person of being kind of tied into the same activities as in as a as an old Jimmy Seville. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in Australia. And I believe he fled Australia following these claims against him, which is very peculiar, if you ask me. But may, it could just be total nonsense. This this is this is a mere uh, we're, we're just discussing this as 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 we know it. We're not making any kind of accusations against her father or the Kidman family or anybody just discussing these topics, generally speaking. So. Again, vice. You can't call us conspiracy theorists here, right? <laughs> right, right. We're just saying generally. I mean, yeah, a very interesting stuff. And then you you can get into Vivian Kubrick, who seems to be a bit off her rocker, or, or at least on the surface. You check out her Twitter account, and she's got the 
whole kind of setup is a Corey Feldman type, really, where you're seeing all these retweets about WikiLeaks and an open secret documentary and all these things that kind of have like one foot in reality and one foot in hypotheticals and unproven claims. Well, I saw her going on a a rant a few months ago about the, the Nixium celebrity cult thing. Well, this actually kind of puts some of this Kubrickian stuff into a context where we're talking about Hollywood sex cults. And this is kind of one. And there, there's obviously that aspect where they were luring in the actresses of Smallville and whoever else. We don't really have any bigger names than that. I think this is probably one of the lowest level ones in Hollywood, if mm-hmm. I had to guess. And then you also have the weird child trafficking aspect of Nexium that hasn't really been talked about in the press. They kind of just put it under a blanket of human trafficking. Yeah. But I, I would say one is bad and one is one of the worst things in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and the, there's um, w- within like within the same concept, there's a, a like a veil of mystery behind each leader of the different like charters that they were were using to traffic people. Mm-hmm. So they have one that's specifically supposed to find dancers, and the guy that was the head of the one that finds dancers very few people ever saw him or knew who he was and then whenever that that leader and the the woman from smallville i'm sorry they don't remember their names whenever they got hemmed up that dude was one of the <clears throat> one of the guys that dimed on them you know to give some information uh, to 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 keep himself clean and there's another one that's for children for it's called like the something developmental early developmental and it's a it's a elementary to high school and there's hundreds of kids that have pushed through that, that have gone in essentially undocumented or lightly documented, you know, uh, to, uh, David, age nine, and then that's the end of it. <clears throat> and a lot of that stems from their uh, probing of people looking to enter in Hollywood. A lot of the women that were directly involved in the trafficking have been in television series from like sci-fi or uh, uh, the CW, like real, you know, D-list celebrities. They've been sure. one thing ever. But they were all trying to move up the ladder. And it, it seems like maybe once you maybe come, become privy to, the, like, the sex cult aspect that might be going on or the, the occultic aspect of Hollywood, that somebody can come in and, and bring in, like, the lowest level kind of, nix, like, what Nixium is and just invite you in and you're like, well, this is the only way I can get to the top. Right. Well, I think it's a giant blackmailing scheme from whoever is involved in Nexium, where they get you involved in these activities in order to be able to hold these things over your head and get you to do the things that they want you to do. And, you know, that's again, that's an aspect of Eyes Wide Shut that because when when we discuss the film, we're frequently discussing, excuse me, Bill and Alice and not so much the other participants in the orgy but it's it's assumed that the reason why bill can't you know dime on them is because those people could be any of the people outside they could be any of the cops or investigators or politicians or whatever but still it makes you wonder are they complicit or are they being blackmailed they go over this a little bit in that conversation tom cruise's character bill harford is meeting with I can't recall the name of, I believe it's Sidney Pollock's character. Uh, do you know off the top of your head? Uh, uh, Ziegler? Yes, yes, that's right. Where he's kind of giving him that inclination that, yeah, you don't want to ruffle feathers with these people. And subtly threatening him without threatening him and trying to pass this off as make-believe without being make-believe. And that vagueness surrounding the death of the girl I don't, it, it's partially what what sells the whole interaction between the two not to delve into the actual quality of the film itself we're obviously we're talking about conspiracies and all that right now but it's such a creepy interaction especially uh after tom cruise's character goes back home and finds that mask on his pillow mm-hmm. and, and it, it the way it devolves again not to like get into the craft or anything like that but the way the conversation devolves from ziggler being 
really confident and in, in just saying, come on, every she's just some Hollywood, you know, whore. The only thing that happened to her was she was getting her brains fucked out to right. to giving like hardcore details. I mean, well, her door was locked. She did a bunch of uh, speed balls. And some guys brought her home. She was fine whenever she left. Like now, he, it really goes from like, okay, I'm being passive. Leave me alone, Bill. To look, Bill, you know I did this. Please shut up. Right. It, right. it really comes off like that. Even you know the framing of him kind of coming up behind Bill and like like grabbing his shoulders in that way. Mm-hmm. It, in any other time if you were gonna maybe frame an adult doing that to a kid you would use that as as showing like look at this adult dominating this child and it's his kind of attempt to uh to to do that to tom cruise sure how many joe biden compilations have we seen like that (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's exactly like dude vice is hitting you up right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is over this is the final episode of movies here Getting kicked off of iTunes. By the way, we are broadcasting this live right now, and this stream will be made long available <laughs> to patrons uh, before it hits iTunes. So if you're currently watching live, and I see that there are 14 people watching this live right now, feel free to lob out any questions or comments in the chat. We may acknowledge them or answer them. Why don't we start talking about the actual quality of the film itself? And also the story of Eyes Wide Shut and what Kubrick might be communicating. I feel like we've done a sufficient job of summing up the conspiracies surrounding the film, or at least the general gist of them. Well, it's, you know, it it seems kind of shallow to just say, like, it could be exploring the way people will suppress their emotional and sexual urges while in a monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. That once it gets to like a certain point, you know, because because obviously that's a theme, right? Bill and Alice have been together for a long time. Uh, Bill trusts Alice a lot. And Alice feels like that that trust steals from her her sexuality. You right. know, that, that with, when he says, I trust you wouldn't do anything for her, it's more like, oh, OK, well, you don't think a, a guy would be interested. And that's why she has that sailor story, which I'm still not convinced is real. really happened yeah i I've, I've never been convinced that that was real and i've never been convinced that that's bill's motive to you know go explore and, and potentially you know attend like attend this orgy <clears throat> i've always kind of felt like the running narrative is they're both sort of lying to themselves and each other about how horny they really are and Bill wants to be more sexually active, but really isn't into it. Alice maybe has like the underlining want to not be so sexually active, but kind of is super like super more into it than she expects. Mm -hmm. And well, she goes on and on and on about this deep desire to cuckle Tom Cruise in this film, Bill Harford, excuse me. Mm -hmm. I want to refer to him as his character name. Uh, what, what what does she get into uh, a dialogue where she's dreaming of being, uh, you know, the center of like a Brazers video, really? <laughs> right. You know, so, yeah, it, it's very, uh, I don't know, it's very, very interesting how Wait, Kubrick, I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I haven't read the book, right, which was called, uh, do you know the uh, name of the book uh, off the topic? I think it, it, it's, Tra- it's like Dream Trom Story. Novella. Yeah, Trom yeah, Novella. Yeah, yeah. And I believe the English title is just Dream Story. Very, very creative stuff there. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, how accurate the dream of Nicole Kidman's and her her personal desires are to that text. But it's interesting that Kubrick's first inclination would be bringing that up to like a nine as far as conventional sexuality in 1996 would go. And that's I think that's what that's him trying to convey the theme like that without trying to trying to sound like gro- gross that, that she might be internally more slutty She's than a pig. Just call her a pig. That's what you're thinking right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that she might be more slutty than she is comfortable understanding and that by pretending that it's this dream rather than like a metaphorical dream, something she wants to happen. She's, she's saying like, it was a dream and it's confused me. I feel like that's 
conveying the theme of like like sexual suppression in this long-term monogamous relationship but it's kind of hidden with the you know with the with the woman in the mask that that takes the punishment for uh bill at the orgy because of that scene where you're not sure if it's alice or if it's not it kind of kills some of that some of that concept that maybe she was exploring that mm-hmm. and felt guilty that she was exploring to, like that she wasn't suppressing so much we have a a message here in the chat that suggests that the mask on the pillow is a dream itself what do you think about that potential theory cuz that's something that probably crossed my mind once or twice and i immediately dismissed it cuz it wouldn't make sense I, well maybe it would I, I i don't know tom cruise has had a long couple of days hasn't he before right. before he decides to spill his guts to Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I I could see that just but then you would have to stretch out the concept of the dream sequence to now more things that are happening would have to be dreams too, right? Because right. I think at that point we're pretty sure that we're in reality mm-hmm. and it's it's been made fairly clear like when something is uh, th- like thematically dreamy versus whatever whatever something is a literal dream you know right so i guess it could i guess but may- maybe that conversation is kind of why it is there right for you to for you to like a red herring for you to speculate on oh, okay was she at the orgy was this a dream um when in reality it could just be that because what was his name Nathan Nathan the the because he the Bill just left the conversation with Ziegler excuse mm-hmm. me because he just left the conversation with Ziegler it's a the head of the orgy being like I know I know you know what happened to Mandy you know it could be that too maybe that's what it's maybe it's a red herring could be but why don't we back it up a little bit because we are Uh-oh. centering a lot of the discussion around the ending I think we should probably just begin with the party that they attend because this does tie into a lot of what we've been talking about regarding their own individual uh, sexual desires and how maybe they mirror each other or maybe even Alice's could be a little more ramped up than Tom's or Bill fuck Jesus come on (laughs) I did I did the same thing in the deconstruction where I called him Tom Harvard unprofessional (laughs) Do you think that her character is genuinely interested in that older man, or is that really just a quick burst of sexual energy that maybe she feels like she's lacking in her life, as opposed to Tom Cruise, where he's just constantly apparent, at least in her head, because they get into they get into that with the discussion and the argument that they have when she gets too hopped up on the pot, uh, where I guess in her mind. She is now picturing his interaction with those younger women or or the young woman he was treating uh, with Ziegler as potentially something that he encounters on the daily as a doctor. And so it's almost like his career and his just daily activities are now attached to mingling with women who might be more attractive than she is. Yeah, I think I think that's because when she's viewing viewing him talking to the two women, he didn't need to do anything okay you know he was kind of hanging out and these women came up to him and started hitting on him and whilst the was the french guy uh, approached her initially and started talking to her she played you know back into the the flirting that he had where she and the french guy were having a a back and forth flirtatious moment she can see that bill doesn't need to reciprocate that flirt or that flirting to still get the brief moment of intimacy <clears throat> and human contact you right. know so i do think that when she witnesses him being really casual and still getting the same uh, amount of contact as what she would need to like really work for she decides that she's going to play with the french guy enough to maybe not make him jealous but at least satisfy her immediate needs Right. For, you know, uh, some type of sexual domination, because like like you were saying, she does want to cuck Bill. And maybe that in her was like that was her doing it finally in some way. Right. She wants to get herself to a point where she would want to do that. And maybe that's why the idea is enticing to her character. 
And as you're now saying here, that her interaction with that older male character could be that outlet where this is as real as it's going to get, simply allowing myself to have an inappropriate (coughs) interaction with another guy. Yeah, like the maybe that fulfills that whole need and and that any other time she doesn't necessarily think about that. Yeah, yeah. I think I... I, I think so. Um, now, you also, I believe, stated, unless I misheard you, that you don't believe Bill Harford's reaction to hearing about her whole sailor thing is genuinely why he goes on that spree he essentially goes on after he leaves the house and is flirting with the... I believe she's a prostitute who is infected with HIV and then winds up at that cult meeting right um domino domino Mm -hmm. i i'm so sorry about the coffee i'm so sorry um yeah i've never i've never really bought that not i think from the first viewing to me it seems apparent that in his mind he's using it as an excuse because he tells her straight up like i'm not jealous i i believe you wouldn't do anything and then she goes on to tell a story where she didn't do anything right and for some reason that's supposed to have negatively affected him in some way to the point where he's like well this long relationship that i have with the you know the mother of my child or whatever that's useless now and i gotta go pay this hooker to you know i mean crank my ham or whatever it is so (laughs) yeah i don't i don't i don't necessarily buy that i feel more like he's using that as an excuse because he sees that she perceives intimacy bigger than he does and he's probably like because there's hints that he's like at the top you know whenever they show up to the party not just i guess uh cinematography is everything's bright lit and yeah. everybody is super happy and of well, course he looks great on a side note this is something that i do want to talk about once we get into the technical aspects of the film which is that uh this movie like many of Kubrick's other films, especially like Barry Lyndon comes to mind, is exquisitely well lit. Um, but go ahead, continue. Well, and be, because you get you get those moments when he's by himself early on, and things are very positive, and he's you know basically killing it out there, and you mm-hmm. find out that he isn't hooking up with all these women and hasn't been unfaithful. I think for him having her tell that story didn't make him okay well i'm gonna go cheat on her but more or less put into the context that he could probably pursue any of the relationships that come at him at any time obviously women are willing to throw themselves at him and that he should go out and at least try to indulge in that right she she thinks that sexuality is this big important thing and he he's such a professional he probably just isn't buying it is that Hmm. that's the thing too is Bill is oddly like he has like an odd level of maybe like Asperger's where he doesn't necessarily fit in every social hierarchy like uh, when first introduced to them. You know, he's just walking around the town uh, after the interaction with Domino and those guys like push him down or whatever. Yeah, you know, they're whether they jocks or whatever, and they bump into him by the car, and he basically gets knocked down. And mm-hmm. they had no reason to think anything about him. They saw him for a split second, and you already see that he doesn't necessarily fit into regular social groups. Sure. I, th- I think that's a, a a part of the theme also, is that Bill probably hasn't been able to interact sexually with a lot of women because he is the super doctor, right? He's the top doctor, and a professional, and he's only right now learning about what potentially could be his sexuality. That's a very interesting take. I, I, I think I agree on the whole with your assessment there of who Bill is. I don't know I don't know if I necessarily saw the like Aspergery side that you're citing, but I, I do think your strongest point there would be that he is ridiculed by those young men that happen to be on the street. It's it's almost like that scene in Louie. Did you ever see that episode of Louis where the the young punk goes up to Louis when he's on his date and he's just like, "Do you want me to kick your ass, Louis?" 
Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a very light version of that where he's just emasculated on the street by himself after that does occur after his whole argument with Nicole uh, Alice Hartford, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, hmm, you I think you might be onto something there for certain. How do you perceive his relationship with Nightingale? It's similar to like like the the Ziegler thing, mm-hmm. and that somebody in those conversations it feels like somebody is supposed to be in control. Um, but they're just framed, maybe not necessarily for back and forth, but it's really hard to like understand the the motive behind the relationship because it doesn't seem like they're like directly connected. They're friends from uh, from university, right? Right, but it doesn't. That that's one of those times that what's true about their relationship and what maybe they're agreeing to lie about kind of comes up. And that's, that's the same thing with the Ziegler at the, towards the end of the film is what are they agreeing to lie about to each other? And right. Uh, and that, what is that's, the truth? that's obviously the current of the film. Right. And we, we see that primarily between Tom and Alice, but I think that is definitely the case with Nightingale where it feels like it, they have the kind of candor, between one another where it seems genuine enough, but you don't ever really get the vibe that it's not an artificial friendship or, or, or a marriage of convenience, perhaps. It definitely is in Bill's case where he does want to attend this party the minute that he finds out about it. And obviously that doesn't work out too well for Nightingale at the end of the day. And Nightingale is, he seems off. You know, Nick Nightingale seems like when you first are introducing him, not like he's even a friend, but to you as the viewer, like this is, I, I thought at first he was going to be like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. If, um, if somebody would have told me at the end of the film, Oh, well the, the leader of the cult was Nick Nightingale. I would have been like, well, I mean, all right. Like if you, if you're pulling some smoke and shadows, okay, maybe, but it's, he's framed so oddly. That's one thing I, I've always wondered is does that, you know, missing 20 something minutes, clarify a lot of those things i i highly doubt it i highly doubt it i don't think kubrick kubrick was not somebody who over explained things and you can obviously see that with the shining and this this is this ties back to a lot of the conspiracy talk and why i am dismissive of a lot of it where they're talking about oh well there was a scene with you know sex trafficking and they you know there's children involved and it's like this that would be way too over the top for kubrick mm-hmm. kubrick is somebody who recognized that vagueness in film led to a more interesting exploration for the viewer and i i don't think we would have gotten any of the loose ends in this movie as it is tied up with the 12 to 22 minutes of footage that wound up on the cutting room floor uh, if I had to guess, it, it would probably just be extensions of that initial uh, ball sequence that Bill and Alice attend and uh, perhaps just interactions between those two characters. Because you, you really don't see too much interaction between them. You have the beginning and you have the end. Mm-hmm. And the rest is all Bill's journey in getting to a point of transparency with his wife. You really don't get the like the feeling of any type of dread until I might've met, I might've missed something here until you get to the, like the Nick Nightingale scene. And then again, inside the orgy, you know, as he's playing the piano with the blindfold on or whatever, those, those scenes change a lot of the tone of the film. And in both times, that's the character that's there. I have one of the arguments I remember reading a while ago, was that these are the moments where I guess you're supposed to be following that the evil that the evil of the film is intentionally directing him to the orgy rather than him inconsequently you know accidentally finding his way to it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is a gay undercurrent to the Bill Harford character because of the vernacular that is used? By those young men on the street, I won't use it because we are live yeah, on yeah. YouTube right now and the robots will read the the text-to-speech and detect all kinds of nasty things about <laughs> this stream that aren't true. Um, and then also, when he is discovered during that 
sex ritual, mm-hmm. the immediate the immediate order that the leader of the cult gives him is to derobe. Wait, what? What is what is the question? Do you think there's a gay undercurrent to the Bill gay Harford undercurrent. character? Well, I mean, potentially, like that's what it, kind of what I mean for him being outside of the, of regular social dynamics is may, maybe not necessarily uh, a gay undercurrent, but that whatever the agreed upon sexuality is, he doesn't directly fit into it. I mean, everybody else would say, yeah, okay, you need me to disrobe, you need me to follow these specific set of rules. And he understands the danger. He can clearly see that, you know, something is going on that's Uh that's bigger than just an orgy and still denies that thing that, I mean, yeah, potentially you could call it a gay gay undercurrent or, you know, that really hard to understand society type um personality that bill kind of displays through the whole thing because to to me that interaction is it seems odd like the leader there i've like i said i don't totally believe that that leader is supposed to be the leader or he could be more or less just like this is the this is the punishment you're supposed to have and i'm enacting it Mm -hmm. Uh, you know almost the theater of being the leader of this orgy but there there's Moments in the film, so say after the domino interaction as he's walking down the street, the signs around him read like pussy and girls night out and it's him walking, you know, it's him having a night out, him not being able to sleep with domino a little bit ago mm-hmm. and then him walking down the streets. So those also could be pointing to this gay undercurrent as you, you know, yeah, I guess, yeah, potentially. I don't think I could considered it until now, but potentially, yeah. My guess is that it is not the central focus. I think Kubrick was just really looking toward the entire spectrum of sexuality. And you absolutely are onto something where where he is this awkward character. And, you know, maybe he has the ability to schmooze certain women, but it seems like he's got an actual problem when it comes time to get down to business maybe the, maybe the whole film is a metaphor for uh having a limp penis i i, I don't know but uh i think there could be something to that because he doesn't he doesn't have sex with anyone in the movie right and, and for a movie yeah. so hung up on that that that's obviously that sticks out and the only way that you know that he's ever had sex is that they have a, a child right and that's I, I think that's actually an insertion by Kubrick so that you know, okay, well, it's not that he's a virgin. It's not that he's adverse to having sex, right? That way you don't have to have dialogue about times that they've had sex, other, uh, you know, other than the time that Alice mentions it. Um, but, yeah, the the those aspects, like that, those bits of the storytelling create that character or create the character arc that th- this guy not a, he doesn't understand how other people work and has a hard time even understanding himself in in a lot of these situations. Hmm. Why don't we talk about the orgy itself? A lot of the masks and the outfits that were used in this film are reminiscent to I think like the Rothschild parties of the the seventies or something. I somebody had pointed this out again, railing against me over my my dismissiveness of the conspiracies. But then I looked into it and it was like, yeah, there's a lot of weird similarities between the outfits that are here. And yeah, it's, it's filmed in a ball, in a ballroom that was built for and by the Rothschilds already. Really? Yeah. And I didn't if, know that. If you start looking around at some of the masks, this is actually something Rob Ager pointed out <clears throat> that I haven't I haven't watched it in a while, so I I couldn't tell you like a timestamp. But Rob a- uh, Rob Ager points out that one of the masks is uh, two eyes, but one of the eyes is inside of a triangle, and they're pushed together so that the eye and the triangle are centered on the head of this uh, green and like kind of like a pale white green mixture. You know the color the literal color of money with the uh, you know the the triangular eye mm-hmm. on there too. As yep. a direct reference to real inner society, that, that that's what it could potentially be. It's like, okay, you guys are aware of things like the Skull and Bone Society and the Illuminati to whatever 
you know, reality or, or fantasy that they exist. So here's some imagery that reminds you of them so that you stay within, you know, for the immersion. But it could also be like like we're discussing, like, you know, tiny bits of coding that these people are maybe potentially based on real people or this event is potentially based on something you might be aware of. I do want to delve into the specifics of the orgy and what we see happening and also what was cut. But I, I think what was cut was actually cut by Warner Brothers and then reinserted for the Blu-ray release that, that came out recently. When they did... um put the movie out onto VHS and initial DVD, they wound up shaving off some of the scenes, I think, that didn't really have anything, nothing that would, like, raise your eyebrows uh, and make make you think, oh, well, why are they hiding this? It was more like genitalia or same-sex interactions, things of that matter. Was there anything in particular about the orgy that stuck out to you as... Uh, something that was noteworthy as far as either the story went or if we did want to tie back into the conspiracy aspect of this movie. Well, so the the two people on the balcony, uh, I guess to be kind of vague, but the, the two people on the balcony that, that they sort of look down on Bill, right? And they give him that, that like, no, it's almost a knowing nod. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that, that, specific scene i've always felt like that's a a a nod not to bill but to the viewer to say that you've seen these two people before that you're that because that's kind of what you're that's what you're going for you know the whole scene is this like it's really fantastical the orgy scene it's not what you would imagine a typical orgy scene to, to look like with people everywhere sleeping with each other and it's really this you know selective and secluded uh, even even things down to the way that they the people are interacting like the mask kissing touching masks together for kissing and things yeah there there's a theatrical effect to the orgy that maybe lends some credence to what Ziegler is saying later in the film when Bill re-meets with him there is that over the top nature to what they're doing almost like they're acting mm-hmm. and Whenever you, as we discover that potentially these people have been aware that he's not supposed to be there, it makes you wonder how much is them, you know, potentially putting on extra for for him so that mm-hmm. if he were to explain to anybody that wasn't in this inner circle, they would have this crazy unrealistic thing where, you know, naked women are choosing men to sleep with after half making out and a blind piano player plays the song that these people are, you know, bound to bang to like that. Though those, those questions are more, are more what you get from the scene. Like I, I see the symbolism, the occult symbolism, but the questions of what, like, again, what is supposed to be an agreed upon lie between this whole crowd and the, the person viewing what's going on? in this case, Bill, and what is uh, legitimately always going to happen. That, that to me, is a big part of, like I said, I think there's maybe some credence to the Nick Nightingale potentially being more involved than just being the pianist. Why do you think they allow Bill to enter the orgy if he has the wrong password? I And that... I, I mean, again, it's that thing is what did they allow him in because they are aware of his status already, right? If this is all powerful people and stuff, they know they know he's an important doctor and a, a successful doctor. And these potentially maybe prostitutes, maybe regular participants, um, they're going to want to choose from him, right? So maybe it's a bit of recruiting from the Nick Nightingale scene all the way up to the taxi, bringing him and things like that. Or Now the, o- the only thing that I could make sense of that is that it is indeed a blackmailing scheme mm-hmm. because otherwise there's no reason to allow him in. You have to turn him away if he has the secondary password incorrect. The only reason that it would logically make sense is that they hold these occurrences regularly 
and allow high-profile individuals in there in order to gain something on them and collect some kind of political capital from that. But you you were about to go somewhere, and I interrupted there. So no, uh, I, I was just going to say it could be potentially that they were just scout like scouting him and wanted him to be there. So, but that's very risky, don't you think? Sure, sure, and but that's the thing is if I if. It could it could be both of those things. So they could have scouted him to get him to show up to the orgy, but then have the things inside inside the orgy be enough to blackmail him if he had done anything, so that he would either have to join or you know never say anything ever because they they already have him and then mm-hmm. them following him after uh, after he's left the orgy and he has that scene where the the trench coated man is following him standing underneath the lights you know staring right at him every time bill looks to see if the guy's following him and the guy's like yes i'm following you and i see you that intimidation tactic and that could be just solidifying the you know that we know you were there you know that we know who you are and where you're gonna be that i mean yeah it's risky but i don't think it's go ahead I, I, let me ask you, um, because I, I don't recall this off the top of my head. Maybe you've seen it uh, perhaps uh, more recently than I have. But do you recall if Bill and Nick Nightingale have plans to begin with or if he just stumbles upon Nick? See, I thought I thought he walks into the into the bar and Nick happens to be there. I don't right. recall... That's that's what I thought as well. I'm trying to think to myself if it would be a plausible theory that this was all set up from the jump to incorporate Bill uh, through Ziegler and then using Nick as the the invitation to him. I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but that that's... I think that allows too much. There's too much chance involved in that. Sure, but the, again, if we're talking about if we're talking about a a potential secret group with tech, you know, next to unlimited power, then what really is a risk? You know, is it really that risky if you are the cops and the politicians or the news, mm. you know, who, who's, who's to find out? Because again, if, if they, I mean, these are all just like ra- kind of random questions, but if they have the ability to control any of the people that might already be there. Right. And is, is it that they don't care to take risks because they are so powerful? They just don't need they they'll kill you for whistleblowing regardless. Kill you or I guess make you go missing. Make you overdose, yeah. Right. Hmm. And and that not to like jump all the way to the end, but having him have that interaction with Mandy where he say he, you know, is like she's overdosed, she just needs some medicine, and then brings her out of her next to coma. And and then her dying a few hours later and him being like, there's no way that's possible. I was there. She was like, fine. And I know what overdoses look like. I'm a super doctor or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. That all plays into the because he would be the type of person that would say, like, no, this was tampering, you know, but he can go all the way up and look right at the body. And without like digging into her guts, he's standing there convinced to some extent that it's it's possible she did overdose and it uh, he eventually kind of realizes it seems too circumstantial for her to fully overdose has a a bit of a a power struggle with Ziegler over it but even that could just be a show of power like look you're the type of guy that would figure out that we killed her and you can't even figure out that we killed her as we conclude in our discussion what is your assumption regarding the girl and also just the nature of the event itself like what is what is the ultimate conclusion that you draw having watched that do you think it's all an elaborate stunt or do you take it at face value that this is a real thing that they're engaging in and they did kill that girl i think maybe i i think maybe they at 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 face value a lot of that is really going on but I think some of it is like storytelling trickery from the, you know, from Kubrick himself. I think some of it is like kind of meta, you know, mm-hmm. your experience, this orgy, a lot of people are 
pretending to be people they aren't in order to indulge in something that they enjoy. And that's sort of the theme kind of Hollywood at the same time as people pretending to be somebody they aren't in order to do something that they enjoy. Absolutely. It's the same thing, like we were saying in Full Metal Jacket. There's a lot of uh, foregrounds and background that makes individual shots really super meta. And in, because not to again, not to harp, you know, talk too much about the technical aspect, but it 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 for me makes it seem like yeah, maybe they really do have these orgies, but at the same time, maybe they're using these orgies to bring people like, Hey, look at the fun that we have. And also we're a secret society. Do you want to join us? And if you don't, we'll friggin' off you. So it could be, it could be a mixture of both. I think that it's a lot of face value reality with a, a little extra theatrics in there to try to pull bill in. Sure. It doesn't have to be intended for one purpose alone. I think you have that many people in a mansion engaging in those kind of activities, you're going to find multiple uses for this kind of setting and uh, engagement at the end of the day. If you're the person who happens to be in charge of this and I, you know, do you get the vibe that Ziegler is one of the higher ups or perhaps the person that is running the orgy? Yeah, maybe, or maybe he is, um, Maybe he's one of the 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 people on the balcony or one of the participants. <clears throat> excuse me, that make eye contact with him, because that's a thing too. Why wear a mask and so many people make eye contact with Bill? So uh, so many people make perfect eye contact with him. If I, if I know you, I don't need to see your whole face. I can just see your eyes, hmm. and that's that's you know he looks right up at the person on the balcony and there's this like this knowing nod i've always thought that that's that guy right there has got to be ziegler the more that we talk through this the more i am starting to draw the conclusion that everything from the encounter with nick nightingale onward was intended by the parties that are running the orgy like a setup yeah, because I I don't know if you would necessarily recognize someone, especially from that distance, just based off of their eyes, but you would recognize their outfit. And obviously we see later on in the film that Ziegler is not above having uh, Bill followed. Right. And that... And that... So... This, I'm going to go, go off a, a little bit here. Sure. Um, one of the theories I've heard is that, and this is going to sound stupid, that Nick Nightingale is the devil, right? And that he's actually set up this uh, elaborate scheme for Bill's soul, right? And this is like metaphorically for um, a money in some aspects, right? Hmm. And that he's using um, Bill's most intimate temptation to manipulate him into not necessarily living in that world, but being uh, too too afraid to expose certain aspects of that world that he might become aware of because of his profession. There's you know different shots that that suggest that he not is just the top doctor at that hospital, but might be a more high profile doctor than you expect. Right, and it's that there could be a quote unquote uh, supernatural aspect to it, and I I, I for sure. I for sure think that's like one of the farthest possible uh, conclusions, but it's interesting how thematically the Nick Nightingale stuff is specifically that he's, he knows about this party, right? But the only thing he gets to do is sit there blindfolded with his back to it. That stuff is really interesting. His framing is, is, you know, to me always, like I said, a uh, uh, mysterious and kind of like a, kind of like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But it's those it's those aspects of it that it makes for a lot of uh, uh, speculation to character motives that you know, like why was Nick there intentionally or what why was Nick there was it intentionally was it an accident is this a setup is it not the more and the more you question it the harder it is you know this could all be a red herring it it becomes harder to understand 
where Bill's what Bill thinks about this. Because he he articulates a lot, but you don't necessarily know if he believes that this really is a secret society that can kill him or if he thinks that he's just getting kind of messed with. He seems conflicted and confused, has a breakdown. It could it, it could be a long for manipulation by quote unquote the devil, you mm. know. So it, Nick would essentially be it would be like a Faustian bargain in oh. allowing Bill to come along to the mansion. I I, mm, I I I don't I wouldn't call it a stretch. I don't know. I would say I I would find that hard to believe that that was the intention. It could definitely be the case. I don't mm. think Kubrick would be above dealing a perhaps alternate perspective on the events that would be within that nature. It's interesting. I will say that. What do you give, what kind of credence do you give to the theory that Ziegler is red cloak based off of the three taps of the pool ball, the three taps of the staff? I know that I think it was Rob Ager who, who made this, uh, um, note in one of his video essays but it has been talked about on the internet and i've seen it pop up in essays regarding eyes wide shut uh people who have been analyzing the film do you think that that was intentional or do you think it was just a matter of chance that we have those three taps and then the three taps with the pool ball you know because i feel like it it, just to add on to that real quick before i give you the opportunity to answer from what i recall Kubrick went through the motions with Sidney Pollack for a very long time trying to get that whole interaction and shot right and told him specifically to tap three times with the ball. I could I could be misinformed a little bit or I might be getting that wrong, but I believe that was indeed the case based off of an interview I saw with Sidney Pollack. Yeah, so... Kubrick is a meticulous attention to detail, you know, the 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 king of attention to detail in film. It, there's no way he would have coincidentally have that happen. So it's either that <clears throat> Ziegler is Red Cloak and the leader of the cult in uh and has been manipulating manipulating Bill since the party mm-hmm. or it's a, another red herring. I really think that Kubrick has attempted to mislead a lot of people with different bits of symbolism and symbology and the way he frames things. I really think there's a lot of, <clears throat> so sorry, there's a lot of like a, a misleading information that's given, but it is really hard. Like I said, I see the chat saying here that it's the whole red pool table too. That's, that's a thing too. Could it be like the li- literal representation of a red herring or is it that these are encoded messages in the cinematography and the and the props to to say this character is that character and right. you know that especially you know like i said his attempt to he can dominate bill when he's sitting down as red cloak but when they're both standing face to face he has to close the distance on him and approach him from behind in order to try to dominate him. And Bill rejects that by turning and facing him up upright, kind of getting a little bit mad, you know what I mean? And, and shaking his head. Yeah. The, I, so I, so it's totally possible that red cloak and Ziegler, are the, the same guy, but again, we're talking about Kubrick. He, he very well could have, done that to lead us to believe something that might not necessarily be true. Right. I was just about to say, I I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility that he was trying to produce subconscious parallels for the viewer to draw that may not actually lead anywhere. And he, he films all of his films in layers. They're they're supposed to be rewatchable. You're supposed to be, uh, emotionally impacted by something the first time you see it and then not the second time so that you catch that very next frame you know something that you m- might have missed uh because of your reaction to one thing now you won't react to that the next time you see it but you'll notice this and the same you know full metal jacket i think was a good example of that so there's those instances that you could you could potentially 
be looking right at something like I was saying with him walking down the road, uh, walking by like uh, the the pussy sign and the uh, girls night out and things like that. You could be seeing things in the foreground and background that are an encoded message, or you could just be seeing Kubrick trying to push false themes onto you to make the film more interesting in, in those layers. And so you could come back and say, oh, this was could have been that, or uh, was he do we have to this? Do we have any instances from other films uh, where that may have been the case, where he was trying to draw false parallels between things? And obviously, uh, you you take a look at many of his other films, and there isn't that kind of mystery surrounding them. The Shining would obviously be the top example of that behind Eyes Wide Shut, or even arguably slightly above Eyes Wide Shut. But are are there are there moments that maybe feel inauthentic uh, that are found in those other movies? Off the top of your head. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I think the majority of the theme of Full Metal Jacket is, is that you're supposed to take out of it that uh, this is about the duality of man and how people can be good and bad, uh, when in reality it's a, a explanation of the slow loss of innocence brought through conflict. Right, so this this red herring, so that you would believe that you would be watching a, a war film, that you believe that you're experiencing this person trying to come to, to to grips with good and evil that lies within everybody, when mm-hmm. in reality you're watching somebody just go from being a, a good guy to a conflicted, essentially evil guy. And but that's that's again, also a longer game, though. That deals. Specifically with the story, it's not a smaller aspect. So I have trouble measuring that against something like Ziegler perhaps not being Red Cloak, which makes me believe that he is Red Cloak. Sure, yeah. it's So, I mean, it's potentially super far-fetched. But look, for for me looking at it, it's always been one of those things that I've had a hard time interpreting whether or not I'm supposed to believe this guy is Red Cloak or... You know, am I just getting fucked with? Well, but, do we have any other candidates that we know of that could be Red Cloak? Not not that I could think of. Uh, because yeah, not, we, do, we, we see Nick on the piano, so he's out. Right. And there aren't really too many other... There's I, I wouldn't say that there's any main characters that we could point to that could fill that particular role. I don't think there's that many people with names in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Do you think that there is a chance that Alice is in attendance at this party somehow? Could, could, oh, how about this? Let's just circle back to that older man that sure. she had the flirtation with. What are the odds that he's at the party or that he might be Red Cloak? Right, that's um, that's the only other person I've, I have actually written here. That that's the only other person I could think of. Um, that's the only other person that could potentially be Red Cloak, but he's French, and doesn't uh, doesn't Red Cloak say disrobe or whatever? I don't think he had a French accent in the one thing that he said. Leon Vitali plays Red Cloak, and he is of English origin, and he speaks in his natural voice. But I don't think it would be above suspicion that the red cloak uh, persona or or whatever could just have a British dialect that's artificial. That's sure. That's used. I think that I, I, I think that's as logical of a conclusion to draw as him just being uh, or speaking in his natural voice. Yeah. I mean, that actually seems pretty plausible. It, it would be down to those two. I see, I see that it's probably more logical that it's Ziegler. I mm-hmm. um I think that there's it's potential that there isn't a direct leader, right? Because one thing that's true of the a lot of these secret societies is that they use false leaders uh, in their stead, right? So sure, it Kubrick seeming to be knowledgeable in this could be using Red Cloak to 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 for you to think that he's the leader when potentially maybe somebody else is pulling the strings but again through through just the the shots props framings things like that it would very much suggest that Ziegler would be 
red cloak and the only time that you see the french guy as from the, a technical aspect everything's well lit everything's happy there's no uh um it's uh, sort of actually cheesy in a lot of films but there's no subtle hints that this could be you know a, a potential bad guy right? he just seems like a kind of a nice dude yeah you're right there isn't that nefarious air about his character he doesn't mm. have like a like an evil gaze that he makes at some point. You know, it's not like Alice walks off and the camera presses in. Well, you don't think the accent in. alone is enough to put him over the edge? Yes. French? Yes. Uh-huh. 100% of French people are bad. I think that is something we can all agree upon. Smash <laughs> that like button if you do agree. All the French are terrible. Um, <laughs> why, why don't we pivot into the final moments of the film where we have Bill Harford going back to the mansion and then eventually returning to his wife after that moment with Ziegler where he's having the conversation with them that we've talked about at length. Uh, So unless you have anything to note about that interaction that we haven't talked about already, I'd like to move on to uh, the mask on the pillow and what that might necessarily mean. So like I said before, I think it's probably a suggestion from the group that, you know, they're aware that he maybe doesn't believe the official Mandy story, the official 9-11 Mandy story. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's to me, that's what I think it is. Having heard now recently the potential for a dream, I would have to like watch the whole sequence again to maybe see if that's potential. But it feels like it just goes right into him you know, giving his confession and being sad. Right. So, so I don't um, think so. I, I, I think we yeah. can take that off the table as a possibility. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, like, like I said, it definitely seems like it's a, an admission from the group saying like, not, not only, you know, not only do we know where you've been, who you are, we know where you live. We know your sexual preferences. Now we know all of these things. And it, it's, it's, to me, it just seems like the the dead horse in the in, in the bed. You know, the dead horse head in the bed. Absolutely. And that is the conclusion of part one of Eyes Wide Shut with the critical unbeliever. If you would like to listen to the full unedited broadcast that went out onto YouTube only two weeks ago, Patreon.com/Lores. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait a whole week to listen to the second half of this episode. Until then, I have been your host, Lores, and I will catch you in the new year. Assuming you don't kill yourself by then. I know a lot of people do happen to off themselves right before the new year hits, as if to cut things clean and let people start anew.